0: Good morning. Morning,
1: good morning. Hey. Uh, yeah, Ken.
0: What? I'm not preaching today.
1: No, I think you're not. Right.
0: I'm not today. Got some time off. Oh my goodness! So next week next it is. Week. Okay. All righty. Well, while I'm here, yeah. uh, man, I do want to just talk a little bit about men's mm-hmm. ministry. And uh, man, I've gotten to know Joe over quite a few years now. He's been a quiet encourager of our church staff in such beautiful ways, and has blessed this uh, church body. And, uh, and it became apparent uh, to me as I served along with him, uh, he was a volunteer on men's ministry team, uh, just his heart for men's ministry. And then it was exciting, just this past annual meeting in January, uh, the congregation passed a budget that included a men's ministry slot for 15 hours a week. And so Joe started that in May okay. mm-hmm. and uh, we get together uh, once a week generally and talk men's ministry. Thanks. and. It's been amazing uh, to see what he's been able to do with this focus on strategic planning and uh, making us better for years to come. The way he's organizing this and just building strong, strong teams. So he's going to preach today, and but I just encourage you to share a little bit about men's ministry before you do.
1: But well, we're excited about men's ministry and where it's going. And guys, if you're here and you're not a part of men's ministry, we want you to be part of that. And you're going to see this coming fall, we've got some new events. You can see them on the slide here. And Men's Ministry is going to launch a lot a lot of new programs. We want to catch everybody. If you're a guy here and you're not involved in Men's Ministry, we want you to be involved. And there's one thing I want to share with you that's coming up this spring. The Men's Retreats we used to have years ago are going to restart. So we're going to start a Men's Retreat. It is, and you can mark this on your calendar. It is going to be from March 31st to April 2nd this spring. And it's at Kenbrook Bible Camp, like we used to have years ago. And if you were part of that, you know that was a great time. So between now and then, there's going to be a lot of other things going on with men's ministry. We want you to be a part of that. Watch your newsletter. Watch the church bulletin. And be a part of men's ministry here at Leb Free.
0: Amen. 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 Stay tuned. Men, if you have not been involved in men's ministry in the past, I so encourage you to. It'll be such an encouragement uh, in your spiritual growth. Um, just one other little aspect of men's ministry that we never really made official, uh, but it was just uh, this past January uh, that we just grieved the loss of just a dear brother, uh, Scott Ginry. And uh, man, it was just shocking to so many of us, and we're still still dealing with that loss. But his wife, Lisa, and his daughter, Madeline, had requested, during that time, that instead of flowers and those sorts of things, that people could honor Scott by making donations to the Lebanon Free Church. And so there was just generous donations given. What we've determined to do with that is to form a fund that we're calling the Scotty's Memorial Fund. And uh, that goal of that fund is simply that there never be a man, young or old, that isn't able to attend an event or a retreat uh, because of finances. And that's just gonna be a a beautiful way for years to come to us to enjoy and honor the legacy uh, that Scott uh, has imprinted upon this place. And uh, so that'll be a neat help. And uh, boy, if you ever do have financial need guys uh, regarding uh, being involved in an activity, please seek out Joe and uh, he'll... He'll take care of it. Absolutely. All righty. Hey, let me pray for you before uh, you dive into God's word here for us. And then, uh, kids, at the end of that prayer, you can be dismissed at Children's Church. Father God, I thank you for Joe. God, I just thank you for his his heart for you, and his heart for men's ministry. And God, I just pray that you will continue to bless him as he grows that ministry. Lord, I just pray it'll have a a huge impact upon uh, all the men of this church uh, in the coming years. And and God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that when everything else in this world is changing in flux, uh, your word never changes, and we can stand upon it, and it is rock solid. It is secure, and God, I just pray that uh, you will speak uh, in and through Joe today. And God, I just pray that it might be a blessing to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: All right, well, hey, good morning, church. It's great to see you this morning. We we are in the middle of a legacy series talking about New Testament characters. And we've talked about in the past, we've talked about Pilate with Pastor Daryl. We talked about Barnabas with brother Jan, uh, Brother Dan Hess. And last week we talked about Mary with Pastor Ken. I'm going to be talking about John the Baptist. And the reason I chose John the Baptist is because of something Jesus said in Matthew 11:11. Jesus says this: "I tell you the truth, of all of those who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist." Now that's a big statement. None is greater than John the Baptist of all those who ever lived. I mean, that bypasses in the Old Testament. It bypasses Abraham and Moses and Daniel and Isaiah. And you wonder, what is it about John the Baptist that is so different, that is so terrific? And that's what we're going to look at as we dive into that this morning. But he's somewhat of an odd character. I mean, he dresses in camel hair. He has a leather belt. He lives out in the wilderness. And he eats locusts and honey. Now, when I was researching this, my curiosity got the best of me. And I said, I wonder if people still eat locusts and honey in our day. So I went on the internet, and of course everything is true on the internet, and I looked around and sure enough, apparently locusts and grasshoppers are delicacies in a lot of countries. You can even buy family packs of locusts if you want to eat some. So they're they're around, they're there. That would be hard in my house, Deb's still trying to get me to eat broccoli, so (laughs) locusts are a little bit further down the line there. But you know, there's more to John than his unusual diet. And I want to start with John's story by going back because John's story really starts well before he was born. And I want to go back in redemptive history. You see the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about God's rescue plan, his redemptive plan of sending his son to die for our sins on the cross to shed his blood so we can have salvation. But woven into that story is a story of a forerunner who's gonna come is gonna tell people about the Messiah that's gonna come, and that is John the Baptist. And you see on this slide here, there's a verse in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.1, that talks about John, there's many others, but I picked this one up, and it says this, look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now between the Old Testament and between the New Testament, there's 400 years of no prophetic utterance, there's nothing. No prophets, no talking from prophets at all for a 400 year time span. Now think about that for a minute. 400 years is a long time. A lot of people come and go, a lot of families come and go in 400 years. No prophecies from God during that time frame. God's still active, but there's just no prophetic word. Until one day, until one day an old priest goes into the temple to do his priestly duties And he encounters an angel. And then we're off and running with the New Testament. So let's take a look at that story. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 to 17. And read along as I I say these verses. Luke 1, 11 to 17. This priest's name is Zachariah. Just a little bit of a background before we start reading. He is an old man. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. These are John's parents. And the Bible says they were very godly. They were a godly couple. And the Bible also says they they were very old. So our story starts, Luke 1, 11, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. And he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Have you ever been in a room where you thought you were alone and all of a sudden somebody shows up? And you get that that fear that takes you right away. Then you realize, oh, it's somebody you know and you kind of calm down. I would think Zachariah must have felt that way. He's inside the temple doing his priestly duties, probably a once in a lifetime opportunity. And all of a sudden he senses somebody else in the room and that fear just gets there and he sees it's not a person, it's an angel. And the angel gives him this great news, don't be afraid. God's heard your prayers. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. He's going to be great. So, all this wonderful stuff happens. And you can imagine Zechariah just trying to process that. And then Zechariah has this conversation with the angel. I want to take a look at these few verses. Listen to what Zechariah says in Luke 1, 18 to 20. Luke 1, 18 to 20. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. I like the way he puts that. He doesn't say my wife is old. She's just well along in years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled in the proper time. And this is a, there could be a whole sermon on this conversation, but think about what Zechariah says. He sees this opportunity that the angel's talking about, this message, and what he sees are limitations and impossibilities. How can this happen? I'm an old man. And then Gabriel fires back with a declaration, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the very presence of the living God, and he told me to tell you that you were gonna have a son to give you this message. And what Gabriel reminds the old priest, is that when it comes to God, there are no limits and there are no impossibilities. Well, John is born during a dark dark time in Israel's history. Decades before John came, uh, the leaders of Israel, they were um, not trusting God for guidance or protection. So they made an alliance with Rome for protection from invaders. And that alliance with Rome had strings attached to it. And those strings became ropes. Those ropes became chains. And by by the time that John comes on the scene, the Jews are under Roman rule, the priesthood's corrupt, and many people, many people are far from God. But John the Baptist—he was a messenger who pointed people to Jesus. John pointed people to Jesus. And we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark because Mark starts out with John's story. So look at Mark chapter one, verses one to eight, and says this: This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God, it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate, locusts and wild honey. And John announced, someone is coming who is greater than I am. So much greater, I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, in ancient times, when a king was coming to a city, there would be a construction crew that would come months ahead of time. And this crew, to put it in our terminology, would fill in the potholes and and level all the high spots, make the road wide and long, right to the heart of the city. And what John was doing for the Lord, John was preparing hearts. He's telling them, now's the time to get right with God. Now's the time to get right with God, because, because the Messiah is coming. John's ministry was all about pointing people to Jesus. Listen to these verses that John has, and this is coming from the Gospel of John about John the Baptist. John the Baptist shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is greater than I am, and then get this, for he existed before me, going back to the eternity of God the Son. John sees Jesus coming another time. He goes, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then referring to Jesus' baptism, where he talks about the spirit descending and the heaven's opening and the Father speaking. John says, I saw this happen to Jesus, and I testify, he is the chosen one, the chosen one of God. John was all about pointing people to Jesus. And you see, the application for this, for you and I, living for Jesus is to point other people to him. Living for Jesus is pointing other people to him. I'll tell you a story. Back in 1967 there was a high school senior named Max Lopez. And Max was um, a very popular guy in school, he was tall, he was good looking, he was the the senior, uh, in the senior play, he was the main part. And he was somebody everybody liked, everybody was drawn to, and he was a very, very strong Christian, high school senior. And he was very, very involved in his Baptist Church's wanna Club. Now across town there were three kids, a brother, a sister, and a third boy, they were about 11 years old. And they came from families that didn't know Jesus. They came from neighborhoods that didn't know Jesus. Christmas was all about Christmas gifts and about getting toys. And there was something about manger scenes, but that was way out here. It didn't didn't really make sense to these kids. And Easter was about Easter eggs and Easter bunnies, and maybe they'd dress up and go to church. And A Bible was something you'd find on a, a coffee table gathering dust, or maybe in the back of a church pew. But they had no idea about the gospel. But the sister, the girl here, heard about something happening at this Baptist church and told a brother and his friend, let's go check it out. And they checked it out, and they, it was an Iwana club. And they, they heard Bible verses, they heard Bible stories, and they played games and they had a great time. And Max was one of the leaders in this Iwana club. And then Max did this at the end of the Iwana club meeting. He went to those three children, he said, I want to talk to you. And he opened up his Bible to the Gospel of John. John 3.16, John 1.12, all these great verses talk about how Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. Talked about Jesus shedding his blood for our sins. And all three of those children gave their heart to Jesus that day. And I know that story because I was that little boy. I was that little boy. I'm so thankful that a high school senior pointed me to Jesus. It changed my life. It changed the life of my family, my kids, and my grandkids. So you never know. There's a whole world out there that needs to hear about the Lord. I like to say, to remember the big picture. We get so engrossed in our lives and the routine of our lives that sometimes we forget we're in a world with a bigger mission. There are people all around us who don't know the Lord. And think about this for a minute. When you stop at a traffic light, think about all the cars around you and all the people in those cars. When you go to the store and you look around, you see faces you've never seen before walking by you in the store. You're waiting online at a cash register. Look at all the people around you. Everybody you see, everybody you've ever known, everybody you've ever seen on television, everybody you've ever studied in history falls in one of two places. They're either saved or lost. They're either forgiven, they know Jesus Christ, or they're dead in their trespasses and sin. There's no, there's no middle ground. And when you start thinking that way, you start looking, you start realizing there are so many people that don't know about Jesus Christ. And we have the wonderful opportunity to tell them about the Lord. One thing that everybody in this world knows, everybody on planet Earth knows, this world is in a sorry state. Things are really wrong on this planet. Where people disagree is how to fix it. But we know the answer. We know it's a sin problem. And we know the answer is found in the hope of Jesus Christ and Him alone. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't shared your faith with somebody else, do that. We do, by the way, we live our lives. We live our lives differently. But also talk to people. Tell people the gospel message. Tell people your Jesus story, how Jesus impacted your life. I'm so glad that guy, Max, saw these three scrawny kids and said, I want to tell you some good news. That was life-changing for me. And I, w- I will tell you this, in the neighborhood I lived in, my family, my relatives, I didn't know anybody that knew the Lord. We never heard this before. It was like a light switch went on in my life. And there were so many people out there. Again, look at all the faces you see every day. And you wonder how many of them just don't know about Jesus Christ. So living for Jesus is about telling others about him. Now, John John the Baptist was certainly a prophet who pointed people to Jesus, but he was also a preacher who lost his congregation. And we find this story in John chapter three. And John chapter three, 26 says this. John's disciples came to him and said, "'Rabbi, the man you met on the other side "'of the Jordan River, the one you identified "'as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know, and I plainly told you, I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success." And then John says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. You see, crowds that once flocked to John were now going to Jesus, and John's disciples are concerned. And John, he's not disappointed, he's not upset, he rejoices. And he uses wedding imagery to kind of bring his point home. You know, in our day, when you have a wedding, the the bride dresses in this beautiful dress, and the wedding march plays, she comes in, and everybody stands and looks at the bride, The groom kind of comes in before the ceremony starts. He's probably wearing a tux that uh, he's rented that some other groom's going to wear next week. If there's any music at all with the groom, it's more like elevator music. Because in our culture, it's all about the bride. But back then, it was all about the groom. And John's saying, he's just the friend of the groom, kind of like the ancient equivalent of the best man. And he goes, I'm just so excited when the groom comes. I'm so excited when the groom says his vows. I'm so excited when the groom is there with his bride. It's all about the groom. And then he says, I've gotta be less and less about myself and more and more about Jesus. John knew how to set his priorities. Now, I wanna go back to the 1980s. And I've gotta tell you, back during that time frame, if you knew me, I loved to fish. I still like to fish, but it was an obsession with me. I would think about fishing, I'd read books about fishing, Back then you didn't have the internet, so if you wanted to order something online, you got a catalog in the mail. You do know, remember the old Sears catalogs or the old uh, JCPenney's catalogs. Well, Bass Pro, which is a sporting goods store, had a catalog about that thick, and I couldn't wait to get it. And I'd get that catalog, and I'd go through it page by page by page. I read that more than I read my Bible. But it gets worse. It gets worse. I would sit there in my living room. Back then I was in the Army. I lived on housing on base. And... Our house was very deep from front to back. You had the living room, the dining room, and the kitchen. And I would sit there in the living room while Deb is watching TV. I had my fishing pole in my hand with a a plastic weight on the end of it, and I'd cast all the way across the living room to the dining room and to the kitchen. Once in a while, I'd hit a lamp or something, and Deb would go, Joseph! But I would would be casting in the living room while she's trying to watch TV. I, I think about that now. I say, that must have been really annoying. But Deb was very gracious, and for me... I was just so self-centered. It was just all about fishing. I even had a worm farm behind my couch. You know, and and I remember when Deb was cleaning and she found it and she goes, what's in this box? Oh, that's my worm farm. It's got to be a certain temperature. And and that was was my life. But I didn't have a fishing problem, folks. What I really had, I had was a heart problem. I had a heart problem. You see, I was trying to fulfill a need in my heart that only Jesus could fill. And I was filling that with fishing because that's what, what I was getting excited about. But... But heart problems don't have to be about fishing. They can be about anything. They can be anything we put before Jesus. They can be about sports. They can be about video games. They can be about music. They can be about shopping. They can be about hobbies. They can be about your job and your career. Anything you put before Jesus Christ is going to be an issue and an idol in our lives. And John knew that we have to learn to surrender. We have to let go. You see, living for Jesus, living for Jesus is all about letting go. It's all about surrender. It's all about more of Jesus and less of me. And John got that. And that's the lesson for us. I look at my life and I say, what is it that consumes my life? What consumes your life? What do you think about most of the time? How does that impact your relationship with Jesus Christ? Okay. So John, he was a, a, a man who certainly pointed people to Jesus. He was also a preacher who lost his congregation And lastly, we're going to come to John, the faithful servant who struggled with doubt. And the scripture passage for this is going to start in Luke 3, 19 to 20. So read along with me as I say these verses. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. Herod was going to Rome, and on the way to Rome, he stops at his brother Philip's place, and he, he has an affair with Philip's wife. And he takes her back to Galilee. He banishes his wife, and he lives in this adulterous relationship. And John calls him out on it. John the Baptist calls him out on it. So John gets put in prison. And he languishes in prison for about two years. And then there's a time when Herod has a birthday party. And during this birthday party, his stepdaughter does a very seductive dance and John the Baptist I mean and Herod sees this dance and he gets so enthralled by it he promises the stepdaughter anything she wants up to half his kingdom so the stepdaughter talks to her mom and says I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter and so this great man of God is now executed but between his tragic end and between the time he was imprisoned John struggled with doubt let's take a look in Matthew's gospel at Matthew 11 Verses two to five. Matthew eleven, verses two to five. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told him, Go back and tell John what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, when you read these verses, you wonder what's going on. This is John the Baptist, the one who was predicted about in the Old Testament, the one filled with the Spirit before he was born. This is John the Baptist who was there, baptized Jesus, saw the heavens open, the Father speak, and saw the Holy Spirit descend. But, But now he's struggling with doubt. And you kind of wonder, how could this possibly happen to John? Well, I think about the day that he was arrested. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail on that, but it was probably a day like any other day. And then somewhere during that day, that morning, that afternoon, that night, some soldiers came and took John to prison. And this, this man who loved to be on the outdoors is now confined confined to a dungeon. Have you ever had that happen to you? You have a day that starts out like any other day. I've had it happen to me. And something hits you like a freight train. And all of a sudden, you don't know what happened. Maybe you went to work, and your boss says, hey, we're downsizing, you don't have a job anymore. Or maybe some illness or some uh, injury hits you, and your life just has never been the same since then, or maybe some other tragedy, and you're left there, your head's spinning, your emotions tumble, and you you carry a a broken heart in one hand and, and a bag full of questions and doubts in the other hand, and you wonder, God, where are you? God, you love me. If you've ever felt that before, you can understand what John the Baptist was feeling. And if you ever experienced that, do what John the Baptist did. John took his doubts Straight to Jesus. He took his doubts straight to Jesus. And Jesus responds. He tells John's disciples, tell John what you're seeing, that the lame are walking, that the deaf are are able to hear, that the the dead are being raised to life. So he confronts John's doubts. He confronts John's doubts with truth. You see, we can't see what God sees. We know God has a plan. We know the Bible truthfully tells us that God loves us. And trying to understand his plan, is like trying to, to see the Grand Canyon while looking through a straw. On this next slide, you're going to see our little dog. Our dog's name is Mia. I think that slide's there. There she is. Mia's uh, about nine years old. Uh, we, Mia, like Mama Mia, because that's about what she's like. Uh, she's uh, a ball of energy. But when Deb and I sit down to watch TV, she always has to sit right next to us. And I often wonder, how much does she know? what she's thinking about? I mean, she just sits there and looks at us. If I'm watching the news, she has no idea about other countries or about nations and other areas of the world. She has no idea about oceans. She doesn't know the difference between us, a fork and a spoon. She can't add one plus one because she's just a dog. She can't understand that. Now, we're not animals. We're beings created in the image of God. But when you compare what we know compared to what God knows, his ways are so far above ours. There is so much he knows. And the Bible doesn't ask us to understand everything God understands but it does ask us to trust Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart because God knows and God is in control and God cares. So living for Jesus is all about trusting Him, about trusting Him even through times of doubt. And when you have doubt, a great way to handle it, and seasons of doubt are hard. I don't want to make light of them. They're very, very difficult. But confront your doubt with the truth of the Bible. If you feel God doesn't love you or you're wondering what's going on, Look for all those verses to talk about how much God loves you. Doubt and truth. Doubt and truth. Confront them there. Pray. Tell God what's going on inside. Don't run away from them. Say, God, I'm, I'm just struggling here. I really need to talk with you. Then seek others, a brother or a sister in the Lord that you can talk to, that you can share your heart with so they can pray for you and encourage you. And trust in God to see you through. If John the Baptist could have doubts, you and I can have doubts as well. We've got to make sure we tackle them in a way that brings us closer and closer to God. Now, John's legacy, and we're talking about a legacy series, John's legacy was not defined by struggle with doubt, but by his relationship with Jesus Christ. Not not defined by his doubt, but by his relationship with Christ. And on this slide, you see I have Matthew, um, Matthew 22, 37 to 38 there. and This is one of my favorite Bible verses. We all have favorite verses, and this is a really familiar one. It's when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, and he says you must love the Lord God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And think about that for a minute. We are invited into a deep and close, close relationship with the creator of the universe. That, that boggles my mind. When I think about that, I think about this invitation to love God with everything we've got. We don't always do that, but that's the journey we're on. Years ago, when I was dating Deb, I was stationed here at Indiantown Gap, just a few miles from here. And we fell in love, but my home base was Fort Dix, New Jersey. So once I went back to Fort Dix, Deb and I had a long-distance relationship. And before they had cell phones, I would go into public phone booths with rolls of quarters and just pop them in the phone, call, hey, Deb, how you doing? The operator said, $1.50 more, I'd pop it in. And I wanted to talk to her so bad, I couldn't be with her. And one November day, it was really cold, and I said, I just got to see her. So I hopped on my Honda 450 motorcycle, rode all the way out through the turnpike to Lebanon, Pennsylvania. It was so cold, I stopped at rest stops and would put my hands in warm water just to get my hands moving again. And I had gloves on. But I just had to see Deb. I just uh, That was where my heart was. Uh, thankfully, just a little side note, Deb gave me her car for the journey home, so I didn't have to ride the bike back. <laughs> but, but here's the point. When you're passionate about somebody, when you love somebody, when your heart is towards that person, you're going to make time for them. You're going to want to be alone with them. You're going to want to get to know them. And that's what God is calling us to do with him, to love him with everything we've got because he loves us so very much. I'm going to invite the worship team, if you're there, would you please come on up front. We're going to close out here. John left a legacy, and you can sum up John's life with this. John says this statement, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And that's kind of the focal passage for today. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. So the question for you and me this morning is, how does that look in your life? How does that look in your life right now? And Be honest, between you and God, it's not something you have to tell me, but between you and the Lord, how is it looking? Are other things crowding in? Maybe it's not fishing, maybe it's something else that just has your attention, if that's the case. We're gonna have communion in a few minutes and it's a great time to get with God and, and talk to him about what's going on in your heart. If you haven't shared the gospel with anybody, maybe talk to God about that and say, God, give me a burden for the lost. Open my eyes to the people around me that need to know Jesus. If you're struggling with doubt or you're just having some tough times, start by going to God and talking to him. And during communion is a great time to do that, start that conversation. And then I would encourage you when you get home today, just stop your life get alone with God, and really talk to Him about what's going on deep down inside. We get so busy running and running and running all the time that we don't give ourselves the opportunity to grow in the Lord. And if that describes you this morning, I hope that during our time of communion, it starts that process of just getting back with God, of just, just coming home. So Pastor Ken, if you would lead us in our communion, please.
0: Thank you, Joe. Um, well, I just encourage you now uh, to prepare your heart uh, to partake and to remember. Um, it's so easy for our, our lives to get clogged up with, with sin, with disobedience, and it's so important before we partake of the elements that represent God's body and His blood that uh, our hearts are right with Him. Jesus knew uh, that we would be so prone to to forget that we'd be so prone to start making life about ourselves rather than God and his kingdom. And John the Baptist in such powerful ways uh, kept his focus on Jesus uh, and obediently declared his word, even at great cost, even at being thrown in prison, even at having his head taken off because of the whims of an evil, revengeful woman placed on a platter but he kept his focus on Jesus, and God used him in such powerful ways, and I just encourage you to bow your heads right now and just prepare your hearts for him, and and I encourage you to just make things right and allow God to impress upon you maybe some steps of obedience that you need to take. Father God, we are so prone to get our focus off of you and onto ourselves, and, and God, we sometimes just get polluted by sin and, and just lured in, and God, we confess that to you today, and, and God, we wanna obey you today, and uh, boy, part of that is just taking time uh, as a church family uh, to remember you and to break bread and to drink from the cup, remembering your shed blood. And so, God, we wanna honor you today in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't grabbed your elements, I encourage you to. If it's the first time you've used this, uh, there's a cellophane layer right on the top that you can peel back that will get you to the bread that we're gonna partake of. It says in First Corinthians chapter 11, Starting at verse 23, for I received from the Lord, this is Paul, things that God spoke into his heart, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me and I just encourage you today as we partake of this bread to to remember Jesus, to remember that he left the perfect environment, the perfect relationship to come to this earth to allow himself to be shamed, to allow himself to be broken so that we could be made new, so that we could be restored. Let's partake of this bread together. It goes on to say in verse 25, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I encourage you now as you partake of the cup to remember to to say thank you to Jesus who willingly shed his blood for you so that you could be washed clean, so that you could be set free from sin and its condemnation. Church family, let's partake of the cup together. Spend just a moment thanking the Lord for His precious gift of salvation.
2: Precious. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow.
0: stand together as one as we declare together what we believe about who Jesus is.
2: Our Father everlasting The all-creating one Holy Spirit conceiving Christ the Son Jesus our Savior I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection that we will
1: if you would join me in prayer as we close out our service. God, we're so thankful for John the Baptist and his example. As we go out our week, as we leave this building and live our lives, help us to have Jesus increase and ourselves decrease. God, just be with us as we walk with you this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.